Hey everybody, welcome to the Full Frame uh, Podcast. Could you just oh. uh, just uh, take, stop and take it from the top one more time. Okay, okay, you ready? Hey Marty, how you doing, man? Good. How you doing, Zach? Good, good. It's been a busy, busy day um, in quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> now, where are you located right now? I am in Conway, Arkansas. I'm about 20 minutes outside of Little Rock. Um, so in the middle of a nice little college town, uh, a little, you know, a little blue dot in a red sea, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Um, my family knows what that's all about. Um, but uh, yeah, I, um, I was going to ask, um, how, uh, how's quarantine treating you right now? It's been busy. Um, we, uh, I'm a professor at the University of Central Arkansas here in Conway. Um, and about a month ago, we went to all virtual. So we've been teaching all of our classes online. That's good. Since Mar- yeah, since March 19th, we've been doing it. Um, so it was really kind of a, a stressful switch over because none of us had actually been trained in online education before. But gosh darn, we're getting one now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're finishing up our, our last week of class this week. So, yeah, things have been busy, but we finish up with finals next week. And then uh, hopefully uh, things can get back to creating things and working on projects, you know. That's cool. Did you say what you, te- what you teach there? I'm a film professor. Film professor. So just um, what, what kind of courses do you teach? So this year um, I was hired as sort of a, a, a producing specialist, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, cool. I've, produced, I've produced 31 projects in my career. Mm-hmm. And I teach the the film production classes for the sophomores and juniors, uh, which is sort of like the class before their senior thesis class. Um, So it's sort of an in-between intermediate production class. And I also teach the graduate students um, with their production classes as well. Uh, And I also teach this semester, I'm teaching uh, an episodic writing and producing class. And yeah, and I'm teaching a crowdfunding class for the first time, which is kind of neat. Wow. So are you developing that curriculum? Yeah, this is the first time the crowdfunding class has ever been taught. Uh, it's the first time the episodic class has ever been taught. Um, so we're really kind of just diving in and just kind of figuring it out as we go. Very cool. Um, what uh, what kinds of things uh, are you imparting in the uh, the curriculum for the crowdfunding class? I'm curious. Well, the, the key thing that we're trying to do is to concentrate on the uh, – to make sure that students know that crowdfunding is not – getting a hold of all your family and friends and asking them for money. It's, uh, it's oh, I mean, it's certainly, it's part of it. It's not the whole thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What, uh, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get across to them is that crowdfunding is the process of bringing in new people into your audience that will connect to the stuff that you're making. Absolutely. And that that process happens one person at a time. Mm. Um, a lot of people, a lot of students, you know, kind of have the idea that if they're going to crowdfund, they're just going to blast the link to their crowdfunding page on Facebook and Twitter for a month and hopefully they'll make their, they'll make their money. Um, the big part of this class has been showing them that, no, there's a lot more work to it, um, but there's also a lot more benefit to it if you put in that work. So that's kind of the, the, the key thing that we're trying to get across. Very cool. And how's the episodic class going? The episodic class was going wonderfully. Um, in December, we actually had a writer's room um, and we actually wrote seven episodes of a web series. Wow. Which was great. And then this semester, we actually started shooting them. Oh, cool. And we were able to get through shooting three of them before the school got shut down because of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've actually still been able to get those episodes finished. Um, and we're getting them out into uh, to film festivals and television festivals right now. Oh, very cool. Um, 
Yeah, I'm curious. I've always wanted to take a class like that, but I think it was a little bit after my like web series kind of have become a little bit more prevalent um after um and also like TV in general was like kind of hitting right as I went to college. So they didn't have yeah. time to develop that kind of curriculum um while I was there. Um so I didn't get to take a class like that, but I always find them interesting, you know, how yeah. you develop a, a show idea, you know, let's all pitch ideas and then treat it like a real writer's room and things like that. I think that's really, really cool. It was fun. Yeah. We had a good time with it. Um, it was, it was after the end of the fall semester. So everybody did it on a volunteer basis. So everybody who did it wanted to be there. So that was nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, let's back up for a little bit. Um, I want to get kind of a baseline for, for people listening. Um, uh, when did you start to take your first steps into film? What, what around what time uh, was that for you? Like, how old were you, and and why did you why did you step into film? I can tell you the day that that had happened. Um, Please, yes, uh, I was twenty two years old, and I was a stringer for the New York Times. Oh. When when I got out of undergrad, I went to the University of Connecticut as a journalism student. And I was able to get a part-time gig as a reporter for the Times when I got out. And one of the assignments that I had was to go into Manhattan and to have lunch with the actress Amy Brenneman. Oh, cool. Because Amy was getting an honorary degree from Trinity College uh, in Connecticut in Hartford. So had lunch with her, talked with her for about two hours. And at the end of the meal, you know, she asked me, so, you know, so what are, your, what are some of your favorite movies? And I told her and we, we kind of had the same kind of taste in it. So she, was, she asked me, you know, have you thought about working in the business? And I said, well, no, because there's nothing in Connecticut. And she says, she says, there's always something in Connecticut. You just have to find it. Mm-hmm. And I, I took it to heart. And I went home and I bought my first episode, uh, my first issue of The Hollywood Reporter. And lo and behold, there was an independent film shooting in Connecticut right up by UConn. I called the director, said, uh, I want to volunteer for you. I don't know anything about movie making, but I want to work. And that's where it all started. Man, that's awesome. Yep. Um, what was that conversation like? Was like, aside from just, um, you know, with Amy, what was it? Was she encouraging of that? Or was um, she just like kind of throwing it out as an aside thing? And then the conversation with elsewhere or? No, she was actually very sincere about it. Um, cool. And and I think part of it was we we grew up in the same area. So for whatever reason, I, I felt like we had some kind of connection because we knew the same places. Uh, we may not have, but it might have been just something I thought. Sure. But when 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 we were talking, she was very she was sincere about it, and and she said, you know, it's possible to do because you know here I am, you know, I grew up in Central Connecticut, and then I made it to L.A., and now I'm an actress and a producer, and you know she you know she thought that anybody could do it, so that that kind of gave me the the confidence to try to strike out and give it a shot. So, what was the first like? Well, first of all, how did the how did the uh, production team on that feature hand, like respond to you, and then were they accommodating, and what did they set you off doing they were unbelievably accommodating and the director and producer of that film i'm friends with to this day um the the first thing i said to them was like i don't know anything but i'm a journalism student so i can write and i can talk so they brought me in and they had me calling acquisitions directors back in the day when there were acquisitions directors and uh asking you know to try to get the word out about the film that we were making uh it was a romantic comedy uh that starred mia tyler Liv tyler's sister uh the plus size uh, it was called A Little Bit of Lipstick, and they had me doing all the press for it as we were getting ready for production. Uh, when we got into production, they threw me on the sound team because I'm six feet, seven inches tall, and I have long arms. Uh, we got into post-production, and we lost the producer to another project, so I became the post-supervisor just because I kept showing up. Wow. And then by the end of it, I was a producer. 
took it took about two years, but I ended up getting a producer credit on it. Man, that's awesome! And I've never seen this film before, um, but uh, I'll have to check it out. Um, yeah. So J T. Foster, the director. J T. is the director. Yep. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yep. Um, so, uh, where did you go from there? Where did you just, I mean, you were showing up every day, so you must've had an appetite for it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And, you know, and I learned my first big rule of independent filmmaking, uh, people will let you do anything for them if they don't have to pay you. (laughs) Um, so that, that started my, my career in indie film. And I did that for two or three more films after that. And then I film school. Um, so I decided to go for my master's at Florida state university and, I went down there in 2002 and I was there till 2004 and worked on like 60 films in that time and actually won a student Academy award for a film that I produced. Amazing. Yeah, it was great. Um, and then, yeah, when we got out, I went to LA for an internship, um, had a job offer. And then I found out there was a movie studio that was getting built in Connecticut. And I thought, well, God, if I have a chance to do something at home, I might as well do Graduated from school, moved back up to Connecticut, and then started working on the East Coast, and you know, kind of made my my bones as an independent filmmaker up there. That's cool. Um, what? Uh, just backing up a, a, just a hair. Um, hmm. Yeah. Why Florida? Florida State was it? Yeah, um, I went to Florida State because one, they accepted me, um, sure. and <laughs> two, they <laughs> their um their program is a conservatory program, and that's what I needed because I knew how to write and I sort of knew how to produce, but I didn't know anything technical. So, so going there was two years straight of learning how to shoot, learning how to edit the sound design and really learning the process from beginning to end. Um, and that was, I I think that was the smartest thing I ever did because all the, all the work I've done since then has directly correlated back to, you know, everything I learned there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it helps to know, I mean, even on just a little bit of lipstick, um, knowing roll after roll after roll through just working on the thing, but also knowing uh, the technical so that you can start to get a sense of how everybody's working on set, what exactly they're doing. I think that's really important. Um, yeah. That's cool. Um, and so what was the internship you had in L.A.? Um, I worked for a company called Zide Perry Films. Um, they've since broken up and become a new a new company called Practical Pictures. Um, they made the American Pie movies. Oh, okay. So I got to work for them for a summer, and that was unbelievable. That was just so much fun. Um, so that kind of gave me uh, my first look into development, and you know the idea of creating projects and working with producers as a writer and stuff like that. So that that really kind of opened my eyes to stuff. Mm-hmm. And were they making those films? It seemed they said they're. It looks like their credits are also like Final Destination. Were they making yep. that kind of stuff while you were working for them? They were. They had finished up. I think it was. It was either Final Destination two or three. Mm-hmm. They they were just in the middle of doing uh, when I was there. So that was kind of exciting. They were shooting in in, uh, in Canada, so they weren't around for like they weren't in L.A. Yet, but it was still cool, like hearing about what was going on and you know who they were working with. Yeah, I love those movies. <laughs> That's cool. Um, is there any bit um, of advice of uh, like a lesson that you learned on the internship or at school that you are now still telling people that you teach? The most important thing to learn about film is that it's a business of relationships. Mm-hmm. The most important thing, more important, I would I, almost almost more important than the skills that you have mm-hmm. is the relationships that you have and the reputation that you have. Um, you know, even if you're not the most skilled filmmaker in the world, if you're a hard worker 
and you're not an asshole, you're going to find work and people are going to want to work with you. Yeah. Uh, and that's something, you know, I learned that I learned that in film school and, and even a little before that, too. But I've really that's something I preach to every class that I teach. You know, it's even if you're not the most talented filmmaker in the world, you can control what your attitude is and you can control how hard you work. Um, and that really can take you far. That's awesome. Um, no, I love that piece of advice. And and I think like it's something that um, I mean, people are going to find out for themselves eventually. <laughs> like it's it's the kind of thing we talk about on the podcast all the time, um, which is like you find the people you want to be with at 4 a.m., um, yep. and, uh, you know, if, if they are an asshole, you, you certainly don't want to be with them. Um, yeah. they're making your life difficult when your life's already difficult. Um, right. Right. Yeah. It's the whole idea of finding your tribe, you know? Absolutely. Um, well, that's cool, man. Well, um, after you went back to Connecticut, what kinds of things were you working on? A bunch of different things. Um, there were a number of independent features that I worked as a producer on, um, and as a location manager for, and a production manager for, um, I was working as a professor for the first time, um, at that time I was working at Quinnipiac university, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a professor there for about six years. Um, and then the, um, the other thing I was doing was I was also running a workforce development program in Connecticut. Uh, the state of Connecticut actually hired me to create one, um, because they had, at the time they had a film tax credit. This is back in 2006. Mm-hmm. They they wanted to start bringing in more Hollywood movies to shoot there. So they created a tax credit program and they wanted to create a workforce development program to kind of go along with it. So they hired me and uh, I did a lot of interviews with a bunch of union folks in New York and around Connecticut and came up with a plan. And we actually started running a summertime program uh, where we would train people to work as below the line craft people. So you could come into this. It was great. You could pay $500. You'd come in for a month and you would learn from a DGA assistant director how to work as an AD. Or you could work. You could work from work with a union script supervisor on how to become a scripty, uh, or a union location manager to work in locations. Um, and it was it was awesome. And over five years, we trained five hundred people. That's awesome. What? Um, so that must have given you some sort of resource to be able to contact industry professionals, even from just like a like a like a totally legit obviously standpoint but just kind of be being like hey i'm also doing this thing on you know kind of thing mm-hmm. that's yep. so cool yeah yeah it was a real fun time did you happen to pick up a lot of skills that way as well well yeah i mean i think management skills were probably the biggest skills that i was able to pick up in, okay. in the running that program uh but the other neat, really neat thing was in that program we created a film every year as a final project mm. and all the departments that were in this program worked as the crew on that film. Cool. So yeah, we ended up doing, uh, we made four, no, we made five films. So we made one film each year, um, of consecutively bigger scope as we went along. Um, but we ended up working with actors like Amy Simons. Um, she was in the pet cemetery remake. Yeah. Um, we had John Ratzenberger in one of our movies because he's from Bridgeport, Connecticut and he came out um we really had a, re- a really cool experience making those and i got to write and produce all five of those man that's awesome yeah um what uh, i was gonna say what's the film scene i i have a little bit of a context i i was a second ad on a an indie feature in connecticut which is how we kind of know each other but mm-hmm. um what is the film scene like in Connecticut right now? Um, and, and, or, or since you've, since you were, well, while you were there, you know? 
Well, while I was there, I think there was a lot more going on. Um, because of the tax credit between 20, 2006 and 2013, there were a lot of smaller companies that were coming in that were making films. There were a lot of students that were making projects and that were kind of teaming up to make first features after they came out. Um, it's since died down a little bit. Um, I think now there are two, two or three major companies that are still making films in Connecticut. There's um, Synthetic Cinema International. They make films for like Lifetime Network, uh, Hallmark Channel, uh, stuff like that. And uh, they used to make like uh, movies for sci-fi, like monster movies and stuff. Um, there's a company in Wallingford called Goodnight Film. Uh, the Alex Calvo is the filmmaker there, and he makes like supernatural thrillers and stuff. Uh, and then there's a, a company in Meriden up by Hartford called Meantime Productions, uh, and they make horror films and they do uh, mockumentaries and stuff like that. They made a great film uh, in 2007 that I was a producer on. It was called Being Michael Madsen, um, and we actually and we had Michael Madsen as our star. Of course, it was great. I think there's like. A contingent of people who, in the in the indie film world, have not worked with him, but it's smaller than the people that have. Um, no, he's 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 great. Uh, I think, um, man, that's cool. I think that, uh, and do you think that that has died down at all since it's it's unfortunate the tax credit's not there anymore. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it has, and and I think the tax credit leaving is a big reason why. It's it's a lot harder for people to look at film as a possible career because there just isn't the work there anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why I left. Um, I, I got ask. Yeah, I, I was there until, uh, I was in New York uh, 2014 to 2015. Um, and then in 2015, I got an offer uh, for a job in California. So that's why I ended up moving west. What job was that? It was as a production manager uh, at the film school of Chapman University in Orange County, California. Okay, cool. I was there for about two years, and that was a blast. I had a really great time there. Yeah, so um, you went from doing a bit of teaching for the the summer program, and then you also did teaching your first college gig in Connecticut, and then you moved with that? Yeah, uh, and then when I moved to California, it wasn't for a teaching position. It was working as a member of the staff of the film school. Oh, gotcha. Um, But the film school is rated number six in the world. Wow. So that was a great opportunity to get in and meet a lot of great people, like the people who were teaching uh, in that program. Like I got to work a lot with uh, John Badham. He's the guy who directed Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he was we would meet once a week and we would talk about how his students were doing, you know. So that was that was a really great opportunity to meet people uh, as well. Cool. So w- working with the uh, the caliber of people you're able to kind of like, you know, rub shoulders with what did that influence your work at all like a day-to-day kind of thing like were you able to kind of bounce ideas off of them or were they like interested in what you were working on on like a personal basis you know it's funny there really wasn't much of much personal talk with the folks at Chapman it really was about the business and it really was just about getting the work done when we were in school Um, however one of my friends who I had gotten to be friends with before I came to California was already in LA when I got there. And he was someone who I was able to talk those kinds of things with. And that was Mark Duplass. Um, yeah, I actually, I I got to work on his show room one Oh four once I got out to California. Um, and I actually helped him produce a web series, um, once I got there. So we got to do some really cool things with them. They did a Netflix movie called horse girl that just came up. 
in there. I worked on that last summer with him. Um, so yeah, there's been, yeah, he, he was really someone that I was able to kind of, to kind of work with on personal projects and stuff. Is there any, their name comes up so, so much now, um, the, the, the brother, the Duplass brothers. And I'm curious to know if there's any bit of not advice, but just like some sort of like strange, like offhanded wisdom they happen to show whether they did it intentionally or not. Like, is there anything that they imparted to you that you're like, I got to do things like that? Well, one of the things that they do uh, at their company, which I think is really cool, is they always, when they have films or TV projects that they're working on, whenever they have like a first version, a first completed cut of something, the whole company will watch it Mm. and then they'll all workshop it together and try to figure out a way to improve it. And that sort of openness to feedback and that, um, that, uh, that pushing back on auteurism uh, is something that I've tried to incorporate as I've gone forward, you know, as I've worked on my own stuff. And I think it's really been a big help because other folks can point out things that, you know, you may not see. Yeah, no. And I think um, I'm in the midst of writing uh, a new feature that I, I finished a first draft of and I'm, I've now kind of refined my own process, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, I choose maybe five to 10 people to send a first draft to, and then the next draft goes to different, like five different people and then Mm -hmm. on so on and so forth. But I think, um, is there anything, so I I guess I want to ask like what part of your process, is it informing all parts of your process, writing, directing, everything? I think it has. I mean, the, the idea of bringing crew on, you know, and, and empowering them is something that, that I've learned from them. And that's really helped out like for, uh, for stay with me for the feature that I'm in post on right now, we didn't have a casting director, um, hired our lead actress based on an interview that we did with her and her reel. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we did that, one of the reasons was she came to us and was wildly enthusiastic about the script, which was awesome. And, you know, we, of course, we wanted people to work with that were like that. But she also graduated from the acting program at Chapman University. Okay. And she knew, she knew a lot of other great actors. So I said to her, I said, you find me the other two actors that fit these roles. And if they all work together, I'll cast them. And we literally found our cast that way. That's crazy. So it's yeah. just people knowing people knowing people. Yeah. Man, that's cool. Um, and, and it was the it was the sort of built-in chemistry that they all had because they were all friends. Yeah, that's true. Which um, made my job way easier. I'm sure. Yeah, especially <laughs> if they know how each other works. It's almost like, well, they always say directing is 90% just choosing the right person for the role. So if you're choosing the right people for a collective, you know, ensemble roles, then, um, you know, 90% of your work is done. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and giving, giving your actors that amount of involvement and, and that amount of influence, you know, and ultimately what, what gets created, that creates a really strong bond and it really gives them the impetus to, to really do good work. And I mean, they would, the three of them, all three of our leads, like they would have run through all for me and, and me for them because of that. Um, so that's something, I don't know if I'm going to do it exactly like that for the next project, but the idea of really giving them autonomy and really giving them, you know, the, the space to, to do whatever they, to do what they think is good and to bring whatever they want and, and really make it a conversation instead of, you know, get, you know, instead of just barking at them, you know, orders, it really is a lot richer, you know, an experience that way. Mm-hmm. So what's your, um, 
what's your writing process like? It seems like you're a really prolific writer. You have a lot of writing credits. Um, mm -hmm. uh, take me through what you what your process is. You know, from inception to completion. Well, it tends to be different uh, depending on the project. Like I, I tend to be a, a big news. Uh, nerd I, I read a lot of news and i try to keep up with current events having formerly been a journalist um and if there's an issue that i really latch on to you know that usually is the basis for a story um if i find something you know that uh, if i feel that people are being treated unfairly or if people are being taken advantage of that's something that sort of starts to spark ideas in my head um, and then, you know, then I just sort of look for inspiration. You know, I mean, I, it could be books that I read. It could be websites that I check out. It could be art that I love, you know, and really just sort of kind of start piecing things together. And eventually I get to kind of a critical mass where I have like a stack of things, you know, it could be articles or notes or ideas for scenes and things like that. And when I, when I have enough of that, that's when I decide, okay, all right, now it's time for me to start putting an outline together. And, uh, and seeing what we have. That's been kind of new for me in the last three or four years, the process of outlining. Normally I'll, I'll, I'll find all that material and then I'll just dive right into writing pages. Um, I've changed that recently um, because by going through an outline, I've realized now that it saves a lot of draft work. Um, so now the first drafts that I write are a lot stronger and a lot more technically sound uh, and structurally sound. Yeah, I think... Um I found that recently as well. Uh, the, the the past two scripts I wrote, one was outlined and the second one was not. The first one was not. And I think uh, you're absolutely right. Like I think I, I guess maybe project to project, it depends. Outlining wise, sometimes I just have to get in and kind of see what characters sound like. But yeah. um, other times it's like, it's really, really beneficial. If I already know like the voices and I know kind of how they're gonna interact, outlining is a godsend yep and i think the other the other thing that's important too um is to know ultimately where the script is going to go um if you're writing a story and it's something that you want to try to sell the process of writing it is a lot different than the process of writing something that you want to make yourself um and, and i perfect example like i've been working on this uh, romantic comedy script and i've been working on it for nine years and the reason, and, and, and it's not that good now. Um, what, I, <laughs> what I've been trying to do all, all this time up until just recently was I was trying to write it, you know, as sort of a high concept thing that I could sell. But only in the last year or two have I realized, wait a minute, I don't need to worry about that. I can just make it my, I can make it on my own. So I'm going back through the script and I'm trying to pare it down and I'm trying to make it, you know, simpler locations wise and simpler logistically and, you know, make sure that all of the, the humorous moments are not big action set pieces, but they're big character moments, you know? So that process really helps you to kind of, you know, kind of whittle down what it is that you're trying to do, you know, when you have a production element involved in it, as opposed to writing something that you can hopefully sell to get made somewhere else. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, uh, and knowing where you're going with it as well as where the script plot and story wise is going is helpful. Um, yeah. What, um, is there any bit of like writing advice you have for people that um, are experiencing any sort of like maybe not writer's block, but just like they want to tackle, you know, their first script maybe? Ah, um, well, tackling a first script in the middle of a pandemic is a very unique challenge. Um, 
I, <laughs> I would say um, if, if you're going to try doing something like that, take it in small bites. Um, I think if you're going to work on your first film in this situation, I think you're going to come upon moments where it's going to be really hard to write because there's so much else going on in the world and it can be a challenge. Like I haven't written anything new since the pandemic started. Um, thankfully I have other projects that I've been working on. Um, you know, so I've been working on those, but as far as coming up with something new, I haven't had the, the energy or the, the mind space to do it. So I think if somebody's going to try to write their first script now, I think taking it in small pieces, you know, just worry about 10 pages at a time, you know, get from the beginning of your script to the first big moment, you know, that, that kicks off where your character is going to go. And then from there, you know, work on the second 10 pages and, and just sort of piece it together that way. I think that's probably the best way not to get overwhelmed. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good piece of advice. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I, I did, I wrote the fastest script, um, I've ever written during the downtime because I was, you know, bored out of my mind, but also because <laughs> I was also writing a romantic comedy and mm. I found it very refreshing to be able to escape into the world that I was creating rather than yeah. living in the one where we are now. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe take another look at the, uh, at your script if you haven't already while all this is going down, because it may just inspire so much yeah. more like hopefulness. Um, no, I, I hope, I hope. I mean, I think that's what we're going to want to see in our films and our television is escapism, you know, and even if that escapism is just something positive, that's, I think that's definitely it. Yeah. And uh, rom-coms are just this weird, like isolated world. Um, you know, I, I write a lot of horror. So for me, it's a big departure. Um, but, uh, I can't write that right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. Um, but, uh, no, that's great. Um, I think, uh, I was going to ask, um, so shifting gears a little bit, um, yeah. not completely, but, um, insofar as, uh, stay with me goes, um, where did the idea from that come from or ideas come from and how long did that script take you? So that was actually a script that I co-wrote. Um, I, I worked with a guy named Adam Maiman, uh, who I met when I was working at the film school of Cal State Northridge. Um, he was a screenwriting student and he was working in the script library with me. And after he graduated, you know, we talked a lot about crowdfunding. We talked a lot about, you know, making a first feature and that kind of thing. And he's, he was really passionate about getting out and trying to make something. And he started asking me, like, do you want to make a movie with me? And I was a little cynical about it because, you know, other folks have asked me similar questions and they haven't really gone anywhere. But he didn't stop asking. And it took about almost a year before I finally said, okay, fine. You really want to do this? Let's sit down. Let's see if let's see if we can figure out something that would mesh. And he, we went for pizza right down the street from campus, and we started talking. And the first thing I said to him was, "Okay, where can we shoot for free?" And he looked back at me and he's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Well, locations cost money, so we need to figure out a place that we that we don't have to shoot. We don't have to pay money to shoot at." So he said, "Okay, well, we'll hold on." And he called his parents, and he said, "Can I, can we shoot a movie at our house?" And them, to their eternal credit, not knowing anything that they were signing up for, they said yes. <laughs> they never do. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know, I know. And uh, that started a conversation of, okay, we have a house in Agora Hills, California that we can shoot in. What's the biggest movie that we can make in one house? And that turned into, okay, what topics do we want to address? And Adam was really interested in, in talking about 
you know, sort of mental health issues and, you know, the issue of advocacy. Um, and I, you know, my mother passed away a few years, about two years ago, two, three years ago. And I was really interested in the idea of exploring grief. Um, after. So those two ideas sort of became the linchpin of what the film became. Um, and it also helped us figure out the way to tell it. Um, we told the story in two different timelines. And what, so what we were able to do is we were able to show the house almost like it's two different houses, right? So it's, it's before one of the major events in the movie and then it's after one of the major events in the movie. And we cut back and forth in between them so that you can see how things looked, how one room looked at one point versus another point. And, and that contrast, you know, hopefully showing, you know, that there's different stages of going through a loss and, you know, different stages of struggling with trying to help someone who has a mental illness. And so that it really started sort of as a, a logistical conversation. And once we figured that out, then we kind of went to the creative and we started talking about the things that we wanted to explore. That's really cool. Um, I'm curious how that influenced your shooting schedule as well. Um, was it because I've shot films in a one house location before um, mm -hmm. I've scheduled films in a one house location before and it's um, challenging, but usually it's room by room by room. Did you guys just split it right down the middle regards to one timeline versus the other? Yeah, what we did, it was almost like that. We, we were in a situation where we shot half of the film in June of last summer and half of the film in August of last summer. We had, we had really crazy actor schedules to try to deal with. And the other thing was I was working on that Netflix movie that the Duplass brothers were making and that shot last July. So we had to figure out like, okay, if we can get six days in June, if we can get one week done, we can shoot half the film, then we'll take a break and then we'll come back and then we'll shoot the other half of it, you know? And then the other variable for that was that I had to leave California in the middle of August to move to Arkansas to start teaching. So we figured it out. Like we did six days in June and then we did seven and a half days in August. And the last day of shooting was the day before I left for Arkansas. Wow. So, <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was kind of intense, but yeah, we were able to pull it off. That's crazy. So were you just going crazy trying to get ready for a move and also shooting? <laughs> It was a challenge. Um, one of the things I did, I, I knew I was leaving in mid-August, so I took most of July to kind of pack up on days that I wasn't shooting uh, the Netflix movie. I wasn't working on that. So it, it worked out. Like, it wasn't, it was stressful, but it wasn't, like, impossible. It is difficult because um, I think there's a certain degree, I mean, this probably happens at all levels, but um, to have the uh, wherewithal to go, all right, now I'm making a movie. A friend of mine, uh, the other Zach on the podcast, uh, yeah. was shooting um, in October, right after he got married. So while he was planning the wedding with his wife, they were planning shooting. And I just can't imagine do doing both. There's something like about the indie kind of like spirit of things that possesses us to do things even when we're in the middle of doing something crazy. <laughs> um, there, there is a required amount of insanity to work in independent filmmaking. I agree. Um, <laughs> so um, as far as uh, shooting goes, um, how long is the script? And um, did you manage to get, I mean, was 13 days enough? It actually was. Okay. 
Yeah, and part of the reason why it was was that we were block shooting. Um, we went through and we shot out one room at a time, like you were talking about. Um, so that allowed us to shoot six, seven pages a day, um, which is way higher than what you would normally get on a feature shoot. Um, we built it that way, um, you know, with the hope that you know we could do. We did all of the all the scenes in both timelines in one room. So then we would shoot all of the the first timeline scenes in the kitchen, for example. And then we'd flip the kitchen to make it look like the second timeline after time had passed. And then we shot out everything in the second timeline in that kitchen. And then we moved on and that was it. And then we were done with the room. Um, so that that allowed us to shoot a lot more than we would have been normally. Um, I, and, and to be honest, if we had more time, we probably wouldn't have done that. Um, because looking at it now, like there are a couple continuity mistakes that we made and stuff like that just because we were trying to move so quick. Mm-hmm. But again... You know that's that's part of how it is. You know you gotta address it in post, and hopefully you can you can get around it. Did you have any room flips in the middle of a day? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine you'd have to. Yep. Um, those days must have been stressful. Um, well, the nice thing was we had other shots ready to go in other parts of the house for what we were. Doing. So if we were in the middle of flipping, our PD team was in there, and then we were outside shooting stuff on the street. We were in the backyard shooting stuff in the backyard, you know, like that kind of thing with, you know, with the hope that we're just constantly shooting something while, while everything else is getting moved around. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a challenge. That's great. Is there any yeah. crazy stories from, from set? You know, not really. Um, it was, it was really kind of a, a smooth set. Um, Adam and his family could not have been nicer. That's great. I mean, yeah, it was it was wonderful. I mean, everybody, all of their friends in the neighborhood, they all chipped in to buy the cast and crew a meal every day of the shoot. So we didn't have to pay for catering. I mean, it was like it was awesome. It was really great. Um, the neighborhood really kind of rallied around us and also didn't tell the uh, the film L.A. people. So we didn't have to worry about paying for permits. So that Amazing. Nice. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, working or you got to work around it, though. but you got to yep. you got to make it work for you and for your crew. And if they're all happy, then. You know, everything's good. <laughs> and they were. We had we had a, a group of Cal State Northridge uh, film school graduates that worked as our crew. Um, and they were all really cool. We had uh, a couple other Chapman students uh, to came and work on the set for a little bit. And, yeah, it was it was great. It was a really good experience. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So now that you are fully in post, um, mm-hmm. how is the meshing and cutting together of two timelines going? What's your post schedule like? Well, we've been working, uh, we've been editing, I think, since November. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we hired an editor here in Arkansas, actually, um, uh, a woman who graduated from the school that I teach at. And she's now an editor for a creative agency in Little Rock. Um, but she works a lot on indie stuff. So I got a recommendation from another professor and talked to her and she really seemed into it. And she not only edit, she's not only editing, she also assistant edited and like song called the footage and all that stuff. So she knows the movie better than I do. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's been really good. We we're on our second cut right now. Um, and we still have a ways to go, but she's really been able to bring a, a viewpoint to the film that I don't have because she's got the objectivity that I don't have. Um, and it's really been nice to see what she's been able to do as far as pacing, you know, as far as point of view, you know, these 
the things that we had talked about before we shot, but this is really, you know, kind of her bailiwick and she's really been able to, to put that together and it's coming together really nicely. That's great. And so what, what's your hope for, um, for post? Like when do you hope to finish a cut of the film or are you just kind of like fluidly going through it? Just the times are crazy right now. So, well, that's, yeah, that's part of it. We, we had hoped that we would have the film done by the end of this year. Um, our original plan was to try to submit it to South by Southwest for next year. Um, but by the looks of it, it's probably going to take a little longer than that. Um, and that's okay. Um, you know, we don't know what the, what the climate's going to look like in six months or six weeks for that matter. Um, so I I think if we, if we're in a longer post process, I think that's okay. That's great. Um, and, uh, while you're on post for this stuff, um, I mean, the good thing is she, she might have tons of time to edit, which is good. Um, um, I've certainly have had time to work on, you know, lots of side projects, not just writing, but like, you know, something that we shot three years ago that nobody ever cut. It's like, um, I'll take a stab at that. Um, are, uh, are you finding that, um, you guys are becoming more productive during this time or is it just kind of like on track? Well, I think it's been it's been on track because we knew that we weren't going to be working on the film in April because we were going to be crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of built into the schedule. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're we're moving. We're moving at the pace that we thought we would be. Um, you know, the campaign's going to be over um, on uh, April 29th. So that, you know, once that's done, um, then we'll start getting back into the editing and, you know, start kind of looking at different things. And yeah, hopefully, you know, we'll get through the summer and we'll be able to have another cut or two done by then. That's great. Tell me a little bit about the Seed and Spark campaign and your plan of attack with that. Oh, boy. Um, so we uh, we originally wanted to do uh, a Seed and Spark campaign for $22,000. And that would cover our post-production costs and also our distribution costs. Um, film festival submission fees. We wanted to do a 10 city theatrical tour of the film once it was done that we put together ourselves. Um, and then COVID-19 happened. Um, and then we started wondering if it was a good time to crowdfund at all. So we came to the decision that we would still try to crowdfund, but just for a lower amount of money. So we cut out the distribution part of the campaign and we just raised for post. So we're at the point now where if we raise our money, we'll be able to finish the movie and then we'll be clear, you know, and then we'll have to kind of figure out what we go, what we do from there. But we're good. I mean, we're 76% funded right now. Um, we've got almost $11,000. Like I'm, I'm shocked. And it's been, it really has been a wonderful process, you know, meeting all these people that, that are coming on the campaign with us and joining our team. That's great, man. Well, um, yeah, this is uh, hopefully a part of a rollout strategy for you. Um, and I, I would love to, um, to follow up about the film once, you have a cut once it's going to festivals. I want to hear everything about that. Um, cool. I do have a couple of final questions. Um, yeah. Uh, are there any big lessons that you learned from specifically from filming or specifically from filming this film? This film has a really deep, really heavy subject matter, and it must have been really difficult. Um, some days, some scenes must have been just kind of a mountain um, to, 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 to come to you know, climb for yeah. you day to day. Are there any um, lessons you learned that you would want to impart either to your students or to me or to whatever? Well, I think as a, as a director, you know, I think the most important thing that you're ever going to have is the communication and the trust of the, the actors that you work with. 
Um, and this was something that I really learned on this film because this film, I, I'm not ruining too much. It has a sex scene in it. Um, that was something I had never been worked. I had never worked on that as a director before I'd done making out scenes and things like that. And of course you want to make sure that the actors are comfortable with that. But then we have, there's situations where characters are taking off their clothes. So this is something that we get, we need to go through ahead of time and really block through moment to moment and make sure everybody's comfortable. And then when you're on the set and you're in that moment, only the people that have to be there are there. You're checking them after every take. You have, you have blankets, you have towels, you know, all these things. Um, you know, you want to make sure that their well-being and their safety is your number one concern. Um, but if you do that, they will run through the wall for you. And I think that's that's definitely something. It's something I knew, but it's something I hadn't really experienced um, until this film. And I, I really, I really think I grew as a director because of that. Um, and I'm really looking forward to to what I make next with that knowledge. That's great. Um, is there any lesson or uh, thing you do differently that you're going to take to the next project? Um, what will I do differently? I'll raise money first. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I, eh, I mean, I think the biggest, the biggest thing I learned coming into this film from my last film is to make sure to let go. Um, and that ties into what I learned with, you know, with Mark Duplass, the idea that you cannot do it all yourself and it's okay if you can't do it all yourself. Certainly. And that's really where I, where I kind of came to on this last film was I, I kind of embraced that and I really empowered everyone else to, you know, to try to step up and, and do the work that they wanted to do. And I think a lot of people were really happy because of that. They really got to do a lot of work and, you know, a lot of their ideas got into the film. So I think that was, that's something to learn. That's awesome, man. Well, um, is there anything you'd like to add either about the project or the crowdfunding or what's next for you? Anything like that? Um, well, uh, I know right now, uh, I'm working on, I have a one hour TV pilot that I'm trying to get out there right now. Um, so that's kind of exciting. Yeah. One hour drama, science fiction drama. Um, and, yeah. And, uh, I also have an animated TV show that I'm working on right now. I'm uh, writing and producing it with a friend of mine and, uh, we have a pilot that we're just about to start animating. Um, so that's pretty exciting. That's awesome. Is that something that can happen if we are inside for the rest of, you know, our lives? Absolutely. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. That's great, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the main thing. And then the, you know, the, the seed and spark campaign, um, for stay with me, uh, is at seed slash fund slash stay with me all one word. Um, it'd be great if, uh, if your listeners wanted to come and take a look and if you could follow us, that would be awesome. And, if you could contribute a little bit, if your finances are good, that would be even better. Yeah, man. And I was going to ask uh, to follow up on that. Uh, where can people go to follow you and to follow your filmmaking? Yeah. So um, the social media network that I spend the most time on is Twitter. Um, so if you want to, my Twitter feed is at Marty, M-A-R-T-Y underscore Lang, L-A-N-G. So if you go there, you can see what I'm doing with my crowdfunding students and what we're doing with the movie and probably uh some other stuff and my uh, my thoughts on current events um if you want to go to instagram we're at instagram.com slash stay with me feature all one word if you want to go to twitter we are at swm campaign for stay with me campaign and if you want to find us on facebook um you can find us by searching for stay with me feature film 
Awesome, man. Well, thank you. And thank you for taking the time. Um, it sounds like uh, you're right in the middle of finals and grades and all sorts of crazy stuff. So I appreciate you chatting with me. Of course. No, man, it's fun. Uh, I, I love podcasts, man. Any, any chance I get to talk and do film with people, I think it's great. Hey guys, just want to remind you that not only can you find the Full Frame Podcast on HMD's website, www.hmdfilms.com, but you can find us on Facebook, and most importantly, you can find us on iTunes, where we would really like if you could leave a review and subscribe. Thanks. Have a great week.